You are listening to Lone Star Community Radio on 104.5 KCZW LP Conroe and 106.1 KZCC LP Conroe and worldwide on IRLoneStar.com. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Extension Hour. I'm Amy Ressler, County Extension Agent for Family and Community Health here in Montgomery County. And this is the Extension Hour where we talk about Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Service, all about our people, our programs, our partnerships. And um, we've kind of started sort of, I would call it now, a series of um, radio shows or sessions that we've done. Um, all related to this work group that we have that's called Coming Together for Racial Understanding. And so this is a group um, within Extension. We're working on trying to um, address those kinds of things that sort of uh, focus around race and race relationships. We have a, we have a diverse employee workforce, um, but more than that, we work for a diverse state. So um, we serve all of the state of Texas. And um, as you know, Texas is um, is very diverse. So part of what we want to do in um, like our mission, our mission and extension is uh, Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Service works daily to make Texas better by providing innovation, innovative solutions at the intersection of agricultural, natural resources, youth, and health, and thereby improving the well-being of individuals, families, businesses, and communities through education and service. And that is literally the mission statement that we have. And our vision statement is that Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Service will be the leader in providing science-based information and solutions in agriculture and health to every Texan. And so that, you know, every Texan. And as I just mentioned, uh, Texas is diverse. So we have been um, discussing with the Coming Together for Racial Understanding group, um, different types of topics. We had one session where we talked about flip the script. And then we had another session where we compared dialogue and debate, and um, particularly around um, race conversations. And so we wanted to take that a little bit further, which one step further this time, and talk a little bit about case studies. Um, but before we get into that, I want to introduce um, who I have with me today. So Don Burton has been with us in some of the previous shows. She wasn't available to be here today. So we've replaced her, <laughs> although she's irreplaceable. Today... Our, our guest is Mario Viarino. Did I say that right, Mario? Well, yes, you did. Yes, All right. Than most, yes. <laughs> and, and I should say Dr. Mario Viarino. Yes. And then we also have Dr. Sanja Davis, who has been with us. Sanja, you want to say hello? Hello, everyone. It's good to have you back. Thank and you. Then we also have Dr. Craig Rotter. Always good to be with you, Amy. Love Thanks. your program and love that we get a chance to chat every now and then. Yeah, and it's great to have you. This is like a gathering of the, the doctors, like all three of you have doctorate degrees. So I can't wait to be in those ranks. Soon enough, soon enough. All right. Almost. Yeah, getting close. It's taken a while, but it, I'll get there. I will get there. All right. So what we had um, talked about. So the Coming Together for Racial Understanding group, one of the things that we do, um, we're prepared to host community conversations. So that idea of dialogue um, we could do in communities um, for communities who want to address that. So um, we have a training that we all went through that um, helped prepare us to do that. And so we just kind of wanted to share a little bit of that with the case studies today. So just leading up to the way we would start um, one of the community uh, conversations uh, that we would have, we would we would ask, we would do a little bit of uh, group work, and then we would ask people to think about an item that they might bring with them to the next meeting that would um, 
tell about their racial and ethnic background. So it could be like any kind of item, a drawing, an object, a poem, food, music, just just whatever, something that kind of represents your um, racial identity or your ethnic background. And so I've asked um, the guest today to share a little bit about that just to, to warm us up. And so Sanja, I see you on the screen. Let's start with you. Okay, so I'm gonna turn my camera around. So I have a wall piece there. And this was a hand, it was hand quilted for me when I graduated in whew, 2011 with my doctorate degree. And it was from my former county director. Her name was Dr. Linda Willis. So she hand stitched this for me and she titled it, You Carried Your Load. And it represents to me, these three ladies, it represents one, it's, one represents me and one represents those who came before me. And the other one is those who will come after me. So it was a lot of hard work in any type of education as anyone knows, but I felt like this really represents uh, the hard work that it takes to achieve any goal that you set your mind to. Uh, that, and that's, it's beautiful. So is there anything that you, else that you wanna share about your background? You often talk about being an Arkansan. You apologize for speaking Arkansan sometimes. <laughs> well, I, I think it's just, I'm, I'm really grateful for my roots. And, you know, I think it's, I, it's like I'm always on guard about what am I going to say? How is it going to come out? Because I have to catch myself sometimes. And my coworkers, you know, if I'm, I'm really excited about something or really anxious and it comes out and they're like, what did you say? And I have to just slow it down, say it slowly. And it's, I'm, I get excited. I really enjoy meeting new people and having conversations. And I feel like I'm the type of person that, that can speak openly to anyone of any race. And I even in conversations with our coworkers, I'm like, oh, I'm not ready to do that. I'm not ready to do that. But at, at some point you have to ask yourself, when will you be ready? We don't live in communities that are only African-American or Hispanic. You know, our communities are really evolving and they're diverse. And we have to be open to having those conversations and looking within if you're not comfortable having that conversation getting educated and sometimes placing yourself in uncomfortable positions so that you are, you know, eventually become prepared or comfortable. Yeah. And one of the things that I've always appreciated about you, Dr. Davis, you're very open, you're honest and forthcoming. And if you need to say something, you'll say, okay, now. <laughs> you know my stance, I told you last time, uh -huh. I'll cross my arms and sit back and, and tilt my head a little. <laughs> and it's not that I'm, I'm just trying to process it. And I, you know, there's that angry black woman complex. Mm -hmm. I try real hard not to let her come through. So I have to watch how I say and what I say, mm -hmm. because that is a, it's a big stigma for African-American women. And it's, you know, it's, it's not out of angry. It's sometimes it's excitement, but it comes out in a way that could be intimidating to some people. Yeah, for sure. We could, we could definitely have a conversation and maybe we do that in one of the future um, shows about kind of like stereotypes and how we interpret um, actions and speech patterns of other people and, and we make assumptions. But that's for another show. We're going to uh, move on to uh, Dr. Rotter. Let's let's uh, hear from you. Show us your picture. All right. Well, 
I'm from a little town south of San Antonio called Poth, P-O-T-H in Wilson County, which is German, Polish, Czech, and, and uh, Latinx, and uh, by history. But most people recognize this town uh, as San Antonio, and you recognize the river. And I, I show this one because my siblings and, and uh, I were all born there. But our family came from Prussia. Uh, Poland didn't even exist back then. And that river, most people think of the San Antonio River as a tourist site, but for us, the river was a way of life and that it runs through um, properties acquired over the years by our, our family and uh, the farming and, and agricultural aspects of utilizing the San Antonio River downstream from San Antonio. And uh, we were brought here as a family by a Polish priest. Uh, one Polish priest in particular. And, uh, you know, we would be identified in today's time as immigrant, as uh, marginalized, as peasants, poor, uh, and coming to, to the United States uh, and, um, and to, to Texas, uh, which was a, a newly formed state uh, at the time. And so we have a very humble uh, background in Atascosa, Carnes, and, and Wilson counties, where our family spread out, uh, again, stereotype that. Polish families may have a large number of children, and uh, in earlier generations, that was most definitely uh, not just a stereotype, but true. And uh, and so we we hold tight to our roots and, and hold tight to that the uh, the legacy of uh, being rural and and being uh, very agriculturally minded. All right, thanks for sharing. All right, Mario, let's go to you. Oh, I have to. I have to uh bring this up and for those uh, our friends on the radio I want to describe it what it is this is actually a bronze that it was given to me when I left uh, my hometown and it's actually a description or, or a figure related to the dance of the deer that is actually the the, the emblem and the symbol of my home state the state of Sonora in Mexico I was uh, born and raised in Mexico until I uh, came to the United States about 26 years ago. But this this is a, a it's a very significant um, dance that occurs uh, and actually described in, in in Mexico as a survivorship dance. The, the native population in 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 this particular state survives in very adverse environmental conditions. Uh, the Yaqui tribes and the Mayo tribes are known to be one of the toughest persons to live on, on this condition. Very little rain, very little human contact. And, and this particular dance describes the pain of the, of the animal as he's been hunted down by a bow and an arrow. And it's one example of resilience and uh, nimbleness that is actually brought into the States regardless of the conditions that, that you have to be optimistic and uh, you have to stay strong. So. I love to be with you guys. I'm talking about these issues. It's one of those things that being Hispanic and white Hispanic is is, uh, is extremely important for us in Texas to remember that just like uh, Dr. Davis mentioned, you know, that we are a multicultural, multicultural state and to serve us well, we have to recognize that. One of those things that uh, Dr. Rotter always emphasized that we had to name it, that it's critical that we stay on, on point and, and we remain objective sometimes. Yeah. And is there anything else you want to share about your background? Uh, interesting background. Uh, a son of a French and uh, Italian immigrant, Sicilian, strong, opinionated people, survival all the way. Immigrant in my own hometown, immigrant in the United States. Uh, uh, just trying to make it through and describe our experiences through life. You know, I, 
He came with a Fulbright scholarship when I was finishing the vet school. So my first training is in veterinary medicine. And if you understand the, the, the component of service that uh, in, in Latin America becomes to be a veterinarian, it's a service job. You know, we provide uh, health uh, to animals and humans through that, that role. Then I came, uh, I was blessed to be in a school, uh, Fulbright scholarship to work with trade issues between the United States and Texas. I uh, came to Texas a with a cattle fever tick program. I worked with my PhD in microbiology and molecular genetics. And that really allowed me to understand uh, from the biological standpoint, the similarities between entities and what it really means, the core behind what you see uh, from the biological standpoint. And after that, I, I came into extension and work serving the communities here in the north, northeast part of Texas. I'm in Hopkins County with the dairy capital of the, of the state used to be. Thank you for sharing. And I, so this conversation that we've just had, just learning a little bit about each of you and your background, um, you, you know, when we talk about having conversation and having dialogue and flipping the script, all of those kinds of things, um, you know, we can make certain assumptions about people just by looking at them by the first few things, the conversations that we have with them. But if we go a little bit further and ask them about, you know, be open, ask them questions, um, we learn so much more about each other. Um, and often when we're talking about, um, you know, backgrounds and racism, so often we think black and white, like, like literally black and white, but then also, you know, various shades of brown. And um, But, you know, uh, the, the challenges of racism are just much more complex than that. Um, so when we learn more about where we come from and we look at backgrounds and how it affects the way we relate to each other and to the community, that really helps us learn more about um, the nature of racism and um, where it exists, why it exists. And sometimes, you know, we don't even maybe recognize it right away as racism. And I'm probably saying this more as, as, a, as a white person. I don't often, you know, it has sometimes it has to be called to my attention before I go, huh, that, you know, I hadn't thought about that that way before. But um, as I have conversations with people, it helps me um, see things differently. So if we help work together, we can, uh, you know, improve um, our communities and, you know, improve ourselves as well. So thank you again for, for sharing all that. So I mentioned what we want to do today is work on some, we're going to talk about some case studies because we can, we can talk all day about, you know, let's, let's dialogue instead of debate. And instead of saying this, maybe you should say that, but when you get into some real life situations, um, sometimes it's more difficult to, to do that, to, you know, to think on, on your feet or to see something from another perspective. So we have this um, list of case studies that we would share in one of those community conversations that we might have. Um, and so I've asked each of you to, to kind of pick out one or two that, that really speak to you. Um, and we, we can just kind of talk about that in terms of how it, um, how and why it speaks to you. And then the others um, in this conversation, the four of us will talk about kind of how we would react to that and how we might see things differently and um, how what you share helps us understand better. So does anybody want to start? I would start, uh, okay. I, I picked it on the one here in our guide and our training, and I'm going to read it and kind of set it up for everybody. A Latina speaks English with an accent. She feels that her co-workers don't take her seriously. So you're uh, not a Latina. Uh, a, <laughs> Latina, a Latina, yeah. Yes. But uh, so uh, 
Uh, I, I think this is something that happens, especially at the beginning when you start a relationship, a working or professional relationship uh, in a community and they don't, they don't know you that well. And I, I think one of the, the big components, and, and, and we all, especially in Texas, you know, we all have an accent. That is, that is for sure, depending you want to pick it up or not. You know, I, I heard somebody that when I just came to Northeast Texas, you know, they, they were using that heavy Northeast Texas, uh, East Texas twang to describe my accent. And I was just laughing in front of him, you know, this happens to me, a community member and he said, Lucas talking, you know, <laughs> let's pick it up a party. You want to do that. But in, but in reality, um, it is part of your baggage. It's part of your background. Uh, I was speaking to a speech therapist on this one day, uh, and I asked her in a, in a working environment, I said, hey, how can I get rid of my accent? And the first thing she said to me is, why do you want to get rid of it? You know, it is who you are, and it's your entity, and, and that's how you, you, you deal with the world. So uh, one of the few things that, you, that my opinion is, and, and that's what I do often, is, is to let people get to know me uh, and uh, see through that first impression. And uh, when we have a chance and we allow ourselves to dialogue and introduce ourselves and explain who we are, you know, that, that delicacy, that intricacy of your, 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 the way you talk, is, it becomes insignificant. Mm -hmm. but, but it requires time. It requires uh, an effort of the one with an accent to uh, take time and you know express themselves uh, uh, the first time that when you talk to somebody uh, they, they don't have to talk much they don't they don't they don't have that that drive so you you have to come out of your shell and say you know i understand that i have an accent i understand that i will be corrected just like you did amy you know you you will make those those corrections and and whatnot and just take it you know as a positive side um and move on on that phase. Right. So you have to embrace yourself and, and get ready for that. It, it will happen. If, if you have it, you will take it for life and you, you have to embrace it. Okay. And um, so I think an interesting part of that too is uh, she feels like her coworkers don't take her seriously. Or I think another thing that happens sometimes is we think that maybe just because someone has an accent or they don't sound like we do, that maybe they're not very intelligent. But what, what did you just say your doctorate degree is in? Yeah, I have two doctorate degrees. But yeah. I've been a doctor since I was 26, and I can, I can put together anything you want me to. But, but in reality, is that, you know, if you mean business and you're serious about it, and this is for anybody out there on the, in, the, in the professional environment that might deal with this in companies and whatnot, I, I think it's critical that you, you, you post yourself and, and you show you say you're serious about your business. All right. Thank you for sharing, Mario. Yeah. All right. Craig, Sanja, do you have one that you want to, or do you have anything that you want to add to what um, Mario just shared? I, I had a thought when I lost it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, Mario, I, I, I wanted to ask where you, what, did you want to change your accent for others or for yourself? In reality, you know, when you are, uh, you know, coming in, you, I think you're trying to mimic, you know, what your environment is. And you're trying to be less obtrusive and less different. And I, I understood that, you know, the, the, the accent that I have, uh, you know, it was one of the few different they can pick up and, and, and develop on myself. So uh, I, my, my, my first impression was uh, just to make it sound more like uh, a, a local that way of talking, you know, 
I'm not really trying to change uh, what I was going to say or, or who I'm going to redirect and it's just to make it more fluent in my everyday transaction. And, and today, you know, after being in, in Northeast Texas, like I said, my community knows me well. Uh, and, and we overcame that step. Now understand that in, in some professionals environments, you, you might not have that time uh, to break that ice because to me it's, it's an ice in between two individuals, you know. And if you recognize that you had that potential barrier uh, that is that you sound different, just because you speak with an accent doesn't mean that you think with an accent. Uh, and you need to show it right away. Don't, don't, don't shy away from that. You have it, it's who you are. You have, all, everybody also has other signals right. in your body structure and your, your, your body uh, language that they're coming out. You're just not aware of that. Right. Uh, so you need to overcome that particular phase. So when I was in, uh, a little bit younger in my career, uh, I had the blessing to be interacting with a lot of scientists that they were from the different backgrounds. So it was not really an issue that, you know, we all had a, a strong, not, not really an accent, but a strong accent, you know, but we also can flip back and forward into three different languages. I'm fluent in Italian, French, and Spanish. I could do the same thing at the same time and, uh, and interact with somebody on that. How many people can do that? Well, right. one of the consequences of that is that you will draw through an accent on it. And, and I embrace it. You know, I, I know it is there. I, uh, I allow myself to be listened to some, uh, by somebody and people and talk. And this is the main thing. If you allow people to listen to you for a while, they will get used to your accent and, and they will overcome that, that challenge. And it's one of those things that I would like to recommend anybody out there. Just, just, just talk and let people get familiar with you and familiar with the way you talk. And in that way, it will not be an issue. They already know who you are and uh, what your main purpose is. That's really good um, pointers for young professionals. Absolutely. And it happens to me when I was given a program several times when I do Rotarians groups or lion clubs or things like that. You know, I usually have, have to put a, a several minutes of icebreaker uh, uh, of who I am and how I am and allow them to understand what I'm saying uh, and allow them to follow my 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 you know my protocols and my my dialogue so they get familiar before i get to the nitty-gritty of the talk that can be sometimes very technical and very important okay well, so I mean, guys, i will go next if you like well actually yes i want you to go next but we need to take a little bit of a break and then we'll be right back after this this is the extension hour where we talk about our people our programs our partnerships but we're going to take just a short quick little break and we'll be right back Lone Star Community Radio is looking for those who are interested in hosting their own talk show with monthly and weekly slots available in Conroe's FM 104.5, 106.1, and on IRLoneStar.com. Start your own podcast, create your first YouTube channel, and be on TV. Contact Lone Star Community Radio online at IRLoneStar.com or call the station message line at 936 647-3776 to take your first step into the radio world. Don't forget to download the Lone Star Community Radio app for your Google Play or Apple Store. Bring Montgomery County's community radio with you anywhere with your smartphone or tablet. If you are in the Conroe area, tune in on FM. That is Conroe's FM 104.5, 106.1. What can the Better Living for Texans program do for you? You can learn how to increase your consumption of fruits and vegetables, choose foods that are relatively inexpensive and good to eat, make your food dollars last longer, prepare quick, nutritious meals, 
help your children learn how to eat healthier snacks, and much more. Our program is committed to helping people like you improve your health through providing research-based nutrition education in a friendly, cost-free, and relaxed environment. We are Texas A&M AgriLife Extension, helping Texans make their lives better. And welcome back to the Extension Hour. Again, I'm Amy Ressler, County Extension Agent for Family and Community Health. And I've got with me some of the Coming Together for Racial Understanding work group members that are part of Extension. So I've got uh, Dr. Sanja Davis. I've got Dr. Mario Villarino. Rieno, and I, you know what? So that's another thing, like saying names wrong. And I am so sorry that I stumble over it every time. Like I really want to say it just right. And then it's like something like I'm trying to say it right. And then it just doesn't come out right. Um, and then we also have Dr. Craig Rotter with us too. So Mario was just sharing with us a little bit about one of the case studies. Um, and, and the example that it had was a Latina who speaks English with an accent, feels like her coworkers don't take her uh, seriously. And Mario was saying that he identifies with this even though he's a Latino and not a Latina, <laughs> but that that um, did have some, it did share a little bit um, about how that, how you've experienced something very similar to that. And then, so Craig, did you want to add anything to what Mario had uh, mentioned and talked about? Well, uh, you know, that's commonplace, uh, unfortunately, uh, in, in our state and in this country. And, um, you know, what I love more than anything uh, in particular with our group, our work group, but, uh, but also uh, where I think our country's going and where the state is going is that people are opening up uh, a little more and talking about uh, their identities, right? They're mm -hmm. feeling a little more support, a little more courage and confidence uh, in ways that we may not have seen uh, in recent times uh, and maybe historically. And so I love that, that as candid as we are as individuals, it's when we come together as, as our group uh, that, that we can talk about our own identities and we can talk about um, uh, some of our histories and some of the stories. And so what Mario shared and uh, in, in how that resonated with him as, as a case, uh, I think, um, you know, we couldn't help but say, yes, we, we agree and, and we support uh, people's feelings and, and, and people's identities uh, and, and being open and, and being able to talk about this. But I, I always question how many folks out there aren't talking about this or feel they can't in their work environment uh, or in their community, or even at times within their own family. Yeah. So it's, you know, the openness of, of, of dialogue and, and our conversation, I think, is a huge plus. And I hope that more and more of that happens in our state in particular, but but again, across the, the country. So Mario's, what Mario shared, I can't help but say, um, yeah, that, that's a reality uh, that happens uh, quite often. Thanks. And then, Sanjay, you were ready before we went to the break. You were ready to, to, to just pour your heart out and share your case study or the one that speaks the most to you. Yes, I'm going to share case, stu case study number four. An African-American couple tells their children to be extra careful at the shopping mall. They remind the children to stay together. They also tell them to keep receipts for everything they buy. And this I will take it even further. This is what I was taught and what I've taught my son and nephews and nieces. No matter what you purchase, never walk out of the store with it in your hand. I don't care if it's something as simple as a piece of gum or a lollipop, always ask for a bag. Never walk out the store with it in your hand. So it's just, um, you know, people always think it doesn't matter what you're wearing or, you know, where you're from, if you're African-American, a lot of times people think you're stealing. That's just one of those stereotypes. So if you have a receipt, you know, 
get the receipt and always have it in the bag. They're not going to give you a bag unless you purchase it. So if they most, most of the time, if they see that you have a bag walking out, they're going to assume that you purchased it. But if you have just walk out with it in your hand, you know, they will stop you and ask, can I see a receipt? And I understand that that happens um, a lot now at Walmart. It doesn't matter what color you are or what race you are, but it's just something that I've always been taught from, from early, early childhood on. And it's just something that has stayed with me. And I've taught my, my family members also. Yeah. And I, I can think of a couple of stories that I've heard just, you know, in the news. Um, it's been a couple of years ago, but like Oprah Winfrey, like one of the most wealthy women in the world was shopping um, in a, a store looking at um, handbags and somebody didn't recognize her and um, kind of targeted her and watched her really closely to see what she was doing. Not, you know, not realizing who, who she was, but you know, besides the point of who she was, just the idea that um, she w- she was um, stereotyped because of the color of her skin. And then the other story that I think of is Amanda Gorman, who was the uh, poet laureate for the inauguration. So she became almost instantly an American icon, um, recognizable in a lot of um, circles. And then she was trying to get into her apartment and she was asked you know, do, do you really live here? She was she was questioned trying to get into the gate of um, her apartment complex. So, you know, you go from a, an American icon to a target in a matter of minutes. Yeah. So anything else that you want to um, share about that or Mario, Craig, anything that you want to add to? Or is this a concern, you know, as a Hispanic male and a, a white male and a white female, is this something that you've ever considered or even had a second thought about? I think in my case, you know, it's just common sense, you know, it's, it, and it's not necessarily, you know, because any particular race, it's just that you you, can, you have to assume, I even talk to my kids that way, you know, you bring in something that can potentially is, is yours and you bring it inside of a store or any place else, you know, be mindful because you're, you know it's yours, but the 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 crime you know personnel and same I think that you just took it and, and walk away with it you know it's it is it is one of those things that that occurs in any kind of uh, community and shoplifting is a problem and it, it is it is an issue so that you need to prepare your kids and, and your your members on that particular subject and I think what you did was excellent you know you let them know how to handle that situation so you're not necessarily affected by the profile yeah. And, and Son, you asked directly uh, the question, uh, has, has this been an issue or a, a consideration for me? And, and I think we all know the answer is no and probably not, uh, because, again, the, the notion that racism and, and our racist history uh, in our country and in our state still exists today. I mean, that history is still being created uh, and, that, and that that is very unlikely to happen to me walking around in a store somebody with a darker skin tone or dressed differently or, you know, anything that is not normal uh, by who decides what's normal uh, or usual or in the majority uh, that, that it's more likely to happen to. So, so my answer is uh, no, uh, I'm not at the same time in, in, in being an ally and recognizing when these things happen in a store uh, addressing it, right. Being, not being a bystander. And, and I, I, 
very quickly share an example of uh, three people in front of me uh, at a store I didn't frequent uh, being asked to show ID uh, when they paid by credit card. And, and all three were African-American um, customers. And then there was me. And so when I got up to the counter, I noticed that and I waited and, and was thinking, okay, they're gonna ask me for my ID and it wasn't coming and it wasn't coming and no one was asking. So I flat asked, uh, well, would you like to see my ID too? You asked the, the people in front of me for theirs. And the person said, uh, said, uh, oh no, you come in here all the time. Well, I didn't know that employee and I did not come in there all of the time. So I said, hmm. I said, that's very funny that you asked them for theirs, but you're not asking me for mine. I said, to be fair, I think you ought to be asking everyone for theirs uh, and, and possibly not targeting somebody. And so they kind of looked at me funny, but speaking up again as an ally, um, you know, you're, you're not a hero in that situation, but you may provide an opportunity for that to happen lesser with one individual uh, causing that to happen or raising their awareness. And, and again, it's, it's sad that, that our history is what it is, uh, but at the same time, we are creating that history now while we're alive. And so that's something to consider if you've not thought about these things before uh, in supporting people who do have to think about these things uh, more often than not and probably every day. Right. And I, what you just described, Craig, too, is kind of going back to the show that we had before where we talked about dialogue um, instead of debate. So um, de depending on how you approach that type of um, situation where you bring it to their attention, um, you know, using it as a dialogue as opposed to a debate, because what we mentioned in that show before is how um, debate just kind of automatically puts people on the defensive. And so, you know, you kind of call out, if you call out acts of racism that you see other people um, potentially, you know, even a white person who sees another white person with an act of racism, not that that other person necessarily like even was aware that what they were doing was potentially an act of racism, because that's not really how, you know, the, the, their brain has worked. It's just, this is the way we always do things. This is the way things are for me. And, and for in, in my white world, this is not something that I think about twice, but um, helping bring that to light so that we can consider, hmm, why do I do that? What is it? Um, about that situation that causes me and do do I even have to do that and can I learn more about other people and their experience so that I can not be racist right anything else that you want to add to that Sanja now that we've had well, added I was just thinking um, maybe whoever whoever helped create that day maybe they maybe they went back to management and asked well what is the policy do we check everyone's do we just only check a certain group but you know that that brought awareness to that young lady or young man about the store policy, and actually asking them themselves, why did I only check those three African American women? So it's like you said, it's about bringing things to individuals' attention in a manner that they're able to receive the message that you're trying to get across, and not in an attacking method, but you know in a in a method where they can be receptive to it. Right. And it's one thing, too, to talk about when we mentioned some of the things that um, the, the things. So when we first started out and the, the things that you guys shared that represented you. They, so they were all art pieces. So different types of art. Right. So there was um, Mario had a sculpture statue. Um, Craig had paintings. Sanja had um, a very beautiful quilt square that was very artistic. So, you know, there's 
a commonality there between all three of you and the things that, you know, the thing, one of the things that you um, showed to represent who you are and your identity. So there's that, that commonality that we could focus on um, things that are, that are similar as opposed to all of our differences. So um, we'll move on to another case study. Craig, is there one that you would like to share? Yeah, and I find it fun, uh, funny and, and not funny. I, and I don't use the word funny as laughable, but I find it uh, odd. odd that um, that when we are doing diversity education work, uh, but yet it, there's truth in it, right? Uh, that you see the cases and, and there's not a case where a white person is a victim, right? And, and, and you don't see a place where the white person is, is lesser uh, often in the cases, and uh, but usually the perpetrator, uh, or you assume that the person that's the perpetrator is white. And again, you think about it from from a system in our history that ought to be telling us something about our history. Uh, and and again, how are we perpetuating that, or how are we going to uh, change that uh, in our lifetime, especially once we're adults? Uh, but but focusing and working with youth. And so I bring that up. Uh, because the, the case that I want to, to share, give me just a second, uh, is, um, is one again where um, specifically a, a white couple is, is named and, uh, and uh, they're walking, they just, saw, they just went and saw a late movie and you can picture this in any town, even in a small town, uh, and, uh, but they see a group uh, of, of young black men uh, and it's interesting that the wording is coming toward them. Uh, and as opposed to, to walking up or, or coming by. So they're, they're coming toward them. So the language uh, is a little bit fiery. And again, with good reason, because this is likely a truth in a lot of places. Uh, and again, stereotypical uh, at the same time. But the couple, when, when the, the group of young black men uh, are coming toward them, the couple crosses the street. And again, this is something that I've witnessed uh, personally and, and uh, we've seen. Uh, in particular, perhaps it's it's um, uh, a woman walking by herself, and and maybe it's even one individual uh, that has darker skin tone, but likely, uh, in in uh, American culture, uh, a black uh, gentleman, and the woman crosses the street out of fear or out of stereotyping or out of uh, an experience that that she's aware of, whether it was hers or not, uh, possibly on uh, in the media or on television. And so it's interesting to, to see that when, when we bring up these cases, me as a white person or, or anyone uh, that's white, looking at this and saying, I can see how this would happen. And then asking themselves, what are your own feelings or your own history in your own family or in your community where this can happen? And, and how do we move our actions, our behaviors, our attitudes, right? And, and what crosses our mind right away to shifting from, is there a threat or there is a threat to why would there be a threat uh, in this? And, and again, why are we acting uh, in this manner and, and where are you? Now, some would probably bring up the, the notion that uh, if anyone was approaching them, right, this is the story that usually happens as a diversity educator. Well, if anybody was approaching me and it was a group of, of individuals, uh, probably youth, uh, that I would have a similar reaction uh, because it's late at night. So, you know, we, we need to recognize that there's probably truth in that as well. Uh, but in particular, in this case, to think through why are you reacting? Is it because it's a group of young men or is it a group that it, or is it because it's a group of, of 
people that if you're white uh, they're, and they're African-American, it's because uh, they're black. And again, are you stereotyping? Or are you truly fear fearful? And from where is that stemming? And 10 to 1, I would assume that, that a lot of that is stemming, if you haven't had a personal experience, that that's stemming from cultural programming and what has been shared in the media and shared more often to bring that into your reality that you must be afraid in that moment because you're assuming something negative is going to happen. And, and, and so that is why these cases are brought. Uh, it, it's not to, to demonize white people necessarily or at all, but it's to share uh, and to get a perception and a perspective that may shift in terms of what the realities are of the person that's not white, right? And, and, and how our existence continues to per perpetuate, perpetuate perpetuate, sorry, perpetuate, uh, that this is where our mind goes uh, right away. And that's the sad part of our reality. And, and so how do we get past that, right? right. And beyond that, uh, and having dialogue and having conversation within our communities and with people that are different from us is certainly an excellent starting point. And, and to bring these cases uh, into our discussion so that we can uh, talk through this and then think about it when, when we're when a situation may occur before something happens, uh, we're thinking about what we're thinking about and, and our awareness is far greater. That was a lot. I didn't mean to speak that much, but that, that case, uh, you know, I think because it's so commonplace, unfortunately, in, in American uh, existence, uh, I think it's one that, that we needed to really dissect. Right. And, and just thinking, you know, thinking about, is there anything about the situation that's dangerous you know, any other indicators of danger or is the only indicator is the color of the skin of the people on the other side of the street. Right. And, right. and just evaluating th that that aspect of it. N not to say, you know, just, you know, throw caution to the wind and, you know, whatever, <laughs> because um, safety, personal safety is important for everyone. Um, sure. But definitely looking at it um, a, a little bit deeper and just questioning yourself and being really curious about. Why well, do couching, I think about that way? And, 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 and you know, literally putting onto an, a, an analysis couch in your mind, what if it had been a, a group of young white men? Would you would you have acted differently and would have stayed the course of staying on that side of, of the street? You know, mm -hmm. what are you really looking at and for when somebody is approaching you? And, and again, if we're that fearful, uh, why aren't we working to change uh, the paradigms and, and change the, the uh, situations? Uh, by being active and engaged uh, in, in this work uh, mm -hmm. in our communities, in our neighborhoods, and in our own families, possibly. And, and reaching out and getting to know people that we, we obviously don't talk to enough to, to get to uh, know well enough uh, who have different skin tones and, and have different uh, family backgrounds as we do. Sure. Sanja, Mario, what would you like to add? I just know that the media, as Craig stated, the media has played such, you know, their role in the stereotyping of young black males. But I see now more positive stories are being shared, more more positive acts of kindness by young African-American men. So, you know, hopefully with, with more stories being shared of their kindness and their good acts, then, you know, maybe the, the stereotype or the image will change. Sure. I, I wanted to add, uh, I just see these scenarios and if you look overall, you know, there are no drastic uh, reflections of racism in place. It's not what you would normally see. It's subtleties through, you know, lifespan that that culturally speaking is embedded in, in place. You know, it's, 
is innuendos in the in the whole play of society. It's not one opportunity radical. There's going to be a, a hopefully a violent event. It's just small steps here and there that the community and the members that have been affected by it uh, continue to overload and say, "Why are they looking funny when I talk? You know, why? Why don't spend the time listening to what I had to say instead of just getting caught up in my accent or why did it walk away from me?" Uh, when I'm trying to be just friendly, you know, and those are the those are the challenge with these type of topics, you know, that there's it's a cumulative effect of multiple small things that build up. Right, and I I think what you've just mentioned, Mario, is a good segue into a future show that we might do um, to talk about levels of racism. Um, so sometimes we have this idea that racism looks like this, and it's bad people who are unkind and have evil motives. But mo most people are not bad people and they're not evil and they don't mean to be racist. It's, there's, there's a lot of systemic racism that happens and there's, it's, it's a implicit bias that we have and that we um, utilize in our lives. And so um, we don't have time <laughs> to get into that at, at this point in this show, but that is something that I think that we could talk about, um, you know, in the future, um, in one of the future shows, just to maybe talk a little bit more about, you know, what racism doesn't just look like this. It, and and as you mentioned, these case scenarios, you know, maybe it's racism, maybe it's not. It's and and just kind of talking through that, but being open to the idea that maybe there are some racist influences that cause. Uh, people to feel certain ways in these situations is worth exploring and talking about. And that's kind of why we're talking about it now. Amy, one thing real quick, um, you know, Mario, the points that, that Mario's made uh, in particular uh, in, in people listening to him uh, and, um, and his accent, uh, you know, it, there, there has to be a recognition in all of us that if, if we see that as negative, or we see ourselves not being able to uh, move ourselves to a place in responsibility to, to listen and, and to learn how to hear people with accents or, or again, appreciate people that are different than us. We have to also, I think, see the, the superiority in that we're probably putting ourselves, we're judging and putting ourselves in a place that who we are is indeed superior to whatever the other person is bringing to the table in, in their voice or in, in anything really that they're bringing. And so, you know, I question in that scenario, the case study that, that um, I shared, uh, I question, was it a uh, judgment of safety or was it a judgment of people uh, in that moment? Uh, and it could be both, but, in, but which one is weighing more heavily in your mind? Yeah. Okay, so guys, we've got just a couple, few minutes left. Um, one of the things I like to do when we end our extension hour is just a, um, like last thoughts of the show, kind of things that you want to um, leave the listeners with as we've talked about um, all of this. We, you know, we've probably had some pretty, we may, maybe touched some nerves, maybe some some uh, deeper seated things that maybe we can uh, address in some future shows, but just a couple of last thoughts. What would you guys like to share? Well, Amy, I would like to ask, we, we all had, um, like you said, items that reminded us of our culture. What if you had something just, you know, what would you have to share? Um, I'll put you on the spot. Thanks. <laughs> so, I, okay, I was thinking about this earlier. Um, 
my dad died not long ago, mm-hmm. first part of January. So he passed away, um, you know, which uh, my dad liked to keep things. <laughs> we always had a lot. So there's just like a garage full of, of stuff that were things that would be, um, you know, that he's going to use someday or uh, might be worth something. So we needed to hold on to it. Um, and one of the things that was in there was um, this old sewing machine. So it's a it's a kind of a classic new home sewing machine. Um, pedal, like the the trend treadle is a pedal, um, and that's how the sewing machine worked. So um, my dad had worked at a um, he worked for Singer for a while. My dad had lots lots of jobs, but he had worked for Singer Sewing Machine, and someone wanted to trade this in, um, and so he ended up. I think I think my mom said he bought it for like maybe ten dollars because you know it might be worth something, and so we just kind of held on to it for all of those years. Anyway, so that was one thing when we were cleaning out the garage um, after my dad passed away, where we were gonna um, that I I, I wanted. Um, so it. There's a lot of things that remind me of, of my dad, and um, and I remember uh, playing with the sewing machine when I was a little girl, like pretending like I'm sewing and I'm going to make things. And, um, you know, I think at one point it was like my play piano, me and my brothers, we were going to have like this band or something, and we were going to... So anyway, lot, lots of memories attached to that sewing machine. So I brought it home with me, and I'm having it um, restored. And so um, kind of, yeah, deep philosophical um, analogies that I um, have with it. Just it's one of those things that represent my childhood in a lot of different ways. And then um, just the importance of restoring ourselves as as human beings. And we learn more things. And, um, you know, we've been talking a lot about race and racism and um, just the, the things that I've learned as I've grown up. So I, I grew up in Lubbock, Texas. Um, and, and they're, uh, probably, you know, I can, I can look back at some memories that I have that, um, I probably learned some, some racism as, as I, um, grew up, not, not knowing that it was wrong and not knowing that anything that my family did was, um, or, you know, the things that I heard and, those ideas that get perpetuated, but when you when you know better, you do better, and I guess that's that's what I'm getting to to sum up too. Since you put me on the spot here, so this sewing machine represents becoming better, knowing better, doing better, becoming better, and that's my that would be my item. Thank you. I I think my takeaway, with to the audience and those listeners is just be open to learning about other cultures and if you never start the conversation you can never have the conversation so don't be afraid of having the difficult conversation um um, this is a whole different show but i often get questions about my hair and um i you know i love I, i i love it because i tell the lady who braids my hair it's like she it's like a it's a work of art she puts when she finishes with it it literally looks like art and you know i always have um women of different races they always ask me well, who did your hair how long did it take but i think that's just learning about black women and their hair and i'm always open to the conversation so just you know start the conversation somewhere 
and, and he's behind me. Thanks. And if you if you look at that point, you know, the more the more that you talk about yourself, the more you're going to share similarities with other people that you were not aware of. I think uh, God created you unique and created you as similar to Him and or her, depending on how you see it. And uh, you're created every time, every day. So you need to be ready for that and uh, put your best face out there and share with who you are to everybody you can. And and somebody will have something similar with you uh, if you allow them to get in. In, in in the in your sphere and, and become friends with you. Yeah, because we we're definitely much more alike than we are different. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and I'll add, um, you know, thinking through, uh, Sonia, you uh, you uh, made me think a lot of the students I've worked with over the years, and uh, and again, people wanting to touch their hair, uh, and it's not just black women; it's also black men. Uh, that uh, especially as people are, are growing their hair out naturally and and wearing it uh, bigger. And, and, and fuller uh, in today's time uh, as, a, as a marker of, of uh, individualism and, and uh, solidarity. But for me, uh, it's, you know, I, I'm thinking right now, something that's really been on my, my mind a lot this week are uh, these large number of immigrants that are coming into the state. A whole different, whole nother topic, right? Not necessarily a different topic, but a whole nother topic. But I think any day that we can, um, we could ask ourselves, what if that was me? That ought to be telling us because it's not us that we have privilege, and uh, and in that with skin tone, and with history, uh, and with how our parents and grandparents and great 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 grandparents may have been treated or uh, good or and bad, uh, that there's privilege in, in our existence today. Uh, if we can say, what if that was us, and people were looking and saying those things about me or treating me that way. Are looking at me as if I'm not human, and and I think when we put it on that scale uh, of our own behaviors, uh, whether we see ourselves as having racist tendencies or not, uh, from a human standpoint, I think we can weigh it larger and say, I want to change my behavior or I want to change my view, because the way I'm thinking is not going along with my spiritual and and religious belief. It's probably not going with the environment in which I work in the office. But if, if I'm thinking these things inside my head at home and I'm not telling other people, but I'm thinking them, then we all have something to work on. And uh, and and again, at the end of the day, uh, when our lives are over, what do you want to look back on and say how you treated people and how you the, the how wide was your uh, network of people uh, beyond people that were just like you? And so there's so many ways to see this. But for me, looking at the number of people that are crossing the river and the storylines in the media today, and now we're saying, well, that didn't happen in, in a previous administration, but it's happening now. These are people, period. And, and we need to think about what privilege we have uh, in that it's not us crossing that river, but we have many rivers to cross, right? Uh, if we're gonna make a better United States and a better Texas, uh, where we would be very proud of how we respect and treat people uh, in, in our state and, and move our history forward in a way that it's not necessarily always been or wasn't necessarily even an hour ago. Yeah. Thank you, Craig. 
Yep. Lots, like I said, we could we could get really deep into some uh, conversations, but we're running out of time. So we're going to say goodbye for today, but we'll um, be back with our Coming Together for Racial Understanding group because we have more conversations to have. Um, but this is the Extension Hour right here on Lone Star Radio 104.5 and 106.1 worldwide on IRLoneStar.com and podcast. So, you know, this, this uh, show is being recorded for posterity, and it is something that we can share with others. Um, who might be interested in learning. So whenever you're ready to learn more about it, there is, um, we're here to help. Um, and we will be back uh, in future shows. But thank you so much for joining us today. Um, Craig, Mario, Sanja, thank you. Great conversation. Looking forward to seeing you guys in person soon. <laughs> All yes. right. Yes, for sure. Thanks, Amy. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Amy, Take so care. Much. Mm, bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you.